So welcome along. This is uh, it's been a little bit of a hiatus on the, the Unicorn Forum, but we're back uh, with a special episode. We have uh, the infamous Tony Surtees, uh, who has done a great many things in his career, I believe. But right now we're here to talk about Zetings. So we'll maybe touch on the Tony Surtees career path. But why don't you tell us a little bit about Zetings, Tony? And welcome along, by the way. Thank you, Ian. Thank you to your audience for putting up with me for however long they will. Oh, there's thousands <laughs> of them. So, Zetings is something which we co-founded, uh, Neil Miller, uh, Rob Kowalski and I, and started essentially at a uh, function where Advance took a group of uh, Australian entrepreneurs to Silicon Valley to pitch. And we found that uh, despite the very advanced nature of the technology and the ideas and the business models that they were pitching, They were pitching using a very old process that fundamentally didn't work very well and didn't help them at all to understand what their audience was interested in. And when you actually take Australian cultures and you put them in front of American VCs, you actually add a layer of complexity. uh, Because the VCs don't understand Australians? I think VCs look for certain strengths in certain types of propositions. And Americans, especially coming out of the valley are intuitively trained, uh, they're both intuitively better positioned and also trained how to present in a particular way. Okay. So what Neil Miller and I first observed was this is a very old-fashioned way of presenting and sharing ideas. And we thought there had to be a better way. We tried to find something and we couldn't find anything that would really give a presenter real-time guidance as to what the audience was thinking. And so we literally grabbed a um, serviette and we were sitting in the Four Seasons Hotel in University Avenue in Palo Alto and we drew the first sketch and that's where it started. So this was born from a pain point that you saw. So you had a bunch of entrepreneurs pitching to a bunch of investors and you realizing that that was inefficient in some way. Is that right? That's correct. And it's too complicated to get the projector going and people were so nervous about getting all their words out that they weren't actually understanding what people needed to hear. Right. So we thought we could provide a better way, a better tool to actually provide them that guidance. Right. And so ultimately, what is it? So it's a, it's a, it's a tool for allowing PowerPoints to be more effectively shared with an audience? Is that, that's probably putting it... That's one way, way of putting it. Okay. We, we live in a, a, a hyper-connected and interactive world. And social media and mobile... Uh, devices in the cloud have transformed the way everybody communicates and has changed their expectations about what you should be able to do. So we believe that uh, Zetings is a way to share ideas, whether face-to-face and in real time, or whether shared amongst hundreds or thousands or more um, of different people in different locations, where really you're trying to capture people's reactions to the content that gets presented yeah. and then to be able to provide any one of a number of different ways of being able to respond to them. Yeah. So we enable people to ask questions in the middle of a presentation without interrupting the flow of the presenter. Yeah. We enable people to talk to each other and to identify um, what are the, in fact, are the key takeaways important for them and that they can come back to without having to make a lot of paper notes. So, of course, all of these 
uh, all of the content that gets shared, either during a live face-to-face presentation or a webinar uh, or otherwise distributed and shared uh, on social media, all appears on any mobile connected device that yeah. you have. So, so give us maybe a couple of, you mentioned the um, you know, entrepreneur pitching to a VC, but maybe a couple of other use cases of how this is being used in the world. Sure. Well, any one of a, a large number of presentations given, eBay used us in South by Southwest, um, EY uses us in corporate training and various other types of activities. Um, HP uses us both internal and external client-facing type presentations. Um, again, a number of other firms uh, use us. So Singularity University and XPRIZE uses us in the U.S. to distribute uh, training material prior to the sessions that they actually run and gives um, the attendees to these sessions the ability to be able to look and to review and to participate in the material before they actually get together and actually meet, whether it's online or face-to-face. So there's an education opportunity, there's a pitching and sales opportunity, uh, which tracks responses. Um, there is a idea development and sharing with a team, where, for example, let's say you have a team of people that meet regularly every week to be able to discuss the progress of a particular project. Yep. Uh, if you do this on Zedings, you'll be able to keep an accurate record um, available to everybody uh, of what was said by whom and when yeah. five weeks ago. It all appears on your device. Yeah. Um, the ability to be able to create a white paper and then create uh, embed within that white paper a whole series of questions, which um, are polls, which can be used in any one of a number of different ways, and then distribute the link to that saved zeding in your own personal channel yeah. um, on social media. Uh, so uh, about 10 days ago... Um, we took Mary Meeker's large deck, probably the single most red deck in the world. Uh, we uploaded it into Zedings. We then added some polls uh, through the body of the, uh, the actual presentation. And then we distributed that, uh, putting the link uh, onto Zedings, um, onto that particular presentation on Zedings, on Facebook and on uh, Twitter. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways. And you get a whole bunch of insights around that. So you know how many people have viewed it, the results of the polls. I mean, that's... And is that proprietary to you or is it proprietary to the person who publishes the, the presentation? Whoever, whoever created the presentation, this is their content. Right. We simply facilitate that. Yeah. So and it's a big market. I mean, I think you, you mentioned the number of, you know, presentations being given daily or weekly when we caught up earlier, yeah. so can you give us an insight to that? Well, the numbers can, in fact, be staggering. So, you know, there's an estimate of about 60, 65 million presentations a day on PowerPoint. Uh, we've never been able to uh, objectively track down a final number. But you add to that presentations given on other platforms, whether they be um, uh, Prezi or... Um, Keynote or any one of the other normal presentation type platforms, you end up with a a massive number of presentations. Now, if you multiply the number of presentations given per day by the number of people sitting in those presentations, if you averaged it out just for argument's sake at, let's say, um, 10 people per presentation, that's 650 million people a day sitting in a presentation somewhere in the world, and none of them none of them are interactive yeah. and none of them actually allow the presenter 
or the organisers terribly much insight as to the outcome or the result um, of the presentation. So there's no ROI calculation. Was yeah. the presentation worth making and how did people react? Yeah. So, Tony, I've known you now probably 10 years maybe. Yeah. Um, and in various guises, you've been a corporate guy, you've been an entrepreneur, you've been an investor, you've been an advisor. You know, so what was it about Zetings that made you get off that you know, varied career path and get back into the hands-on entrepreneur well, aspect? Well, I mean, I still do these other things. So right. I still help other organizations scale and manage disruption. And I sit on uh, the investment committee for accelerating commercialization okay. uh, for the federal government. That's the new Commercialization Australia? That's, that's, the, that's, that's right. That's the successor to Commercialization Australia. Um, so I passionately we believe... We won't go down that rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> I believe in the process of um, entrepreneurial um, activity and personally get involved in it. Right. So I guess the, the Zeding story came as uh, I realised and my co-founder realised that there simply wasn't anyone solving this problem. Right. And it was a big problem. And almost uniformly, everyone we'd ever met... Um, had had the same or a similar experience to what we have on a regular basis. When we pitch, it's hard and it's difficult sometimes to connect with an audience and to understand what they're really interested in. So we decided to take it as far as we could to actually solve the problem for ourselves. And if we could solve it for ourselves, we'd be solving it for other people. So we built this team. It's Australian technology. It's based here in Sydney. And we're projecting it to uh, a global audience because yeah. the demand is global. Uh, and are you talking about, so, I mean, in order to get this off the ground, as involved, you put your hand in your own pocket along with your co-founders. There's no revenue coming in as yet because you're building the product and getting the customer base up. But, I mean, you've got a relatively large team and I suspect, you know, finite, finitely deep pockets. So what's, what's the plan around, you know, the revenue from operations versus investment? So how are you looking at the next, you know, 12 to 36 months? The, uh, the principal challenge around creating any new value proposition is to see how a large number of people are benefited by the use of the particular product. And under these circumstances, we wanted to put the basic product into the hands of as many people as possible so they could discover their own use cases and the reasons why they'd want to use it. Uh, We deliberately kept this in uh, beta for a very long period of time and we uh, have only really released it publicly in the last six weeks. So ultimately we believe that regular users uh, and people who want to get the insights into audience reaction to the ideas that they're creating or sharing will feed into a much bigger model, um, data-driven decision-making and cloud-based, where instead of guessing about how people react to a proposition, you actually know, and you know either instantly or very rapidly. And for the value of those insights, uh, we think that there's a subscription model there. Yeah. And is that going to be an individual or a corporate subscription or both? We aim at a decision maker of one, right? Um, and very much similar to, let's say, the Atlassian model, where they identified solving a problem for 
know, one particular programmer at a time. Yeah. We think that Zilings helps an individual, whether it's an individual teacher or salesperson um, or a manager, um, anyone who is actually having uh, to try to uh, develop an idea and then share it. Yeah. So we aim at one person at a time. So corporates are definitely using us, um, and but we ultimately think individuals are the decision maker. So is it going to be similar then to the sort of Dropbox or Yammer? Uh, I mean, so my experience with them is that you'll get one or two or three people within an organization who start using it, and that's free and you don't need corporate support. And then before you know it, you've got half a dozen and you're getting calls from the Dropbox sales team saying, hey, did you know that you've got six people there and we should come out and see you? And then they upsell a corporate subscription. I mean, it sounds, or even going back to the Hotmail inside model where you know that virality of you know you send a lot of emails to a lot of people and there's a little tagline along the bottom it's like hey you like email uh, free email try hotmail you know yeah. you like free presentation software that's cool and anything you've seen before try zetings yeah is this the model it's a great idea why don't you help us do it <laughs> <laughs> i think i am you know, so I think we fundamentally believe and we've witnessed in the past that if we help a presenter make a more persuasive presentation, whether it's following up or helping that individual presenter to follow up on the questions that um, are being asked during a presentation, then other people who actually participated in a presentation which ended up more as a conversation rather than a speech, yeah. they're the ones who actually pick up on the idea and want to use it themselves. Yeah. And what we've discovered is each time a good presenter makes a good presentation, um, there are a large proportion of the audience who actually signs up, wants to have zinings for themselves. So that's why every time a presentation, every every presentation that somebody gives on zinings has the capacity where the, present, the presenter can be followed, uh, the individual slides can be liked, and you can sign up for zinings uh, on the fly. Yeah. So we're not really planning to do anything in the immediate term, which is, you know, following up individuals um, as much as we are now reacting to and responding to the organic demand that we see emerging yeah. out of more and more people having better, deeper and more informed conversations. Yeah. So I think I've said publicly that, um, you know, I've not seen a single Australian business that has got off or a startup uh, that has got off the ground without uh, uh, a sort of fairly well-articulated business model and path to revenue and profitability pretty early on. This is one of the few ones that I've seen that, you know, it has that sort of Twitter, SlideShare, Facebook, Google kind of model where you know that if the demand is going to be there, then the money will follow. So just maybe a comment from you around that, you know, Australian propensity to just go towards that sort of B2B side and not the B2C and, and why you guys are going to be the my, my, my first exception to the rule that Australian businesses can't do that? Um, look, I have my own personal biases where having spent many years ago um, the earlier part of my career building up uh, the commerce group at Yahoo in the US, um, a lot of that was B2B as well as B2C. In fact, the line between the two is actually quite blur, uh, quite blurred. I think in but this they, case it definitely is. Yeah, and, and, but they are both mass market. Yeah. So whether it's B2B or B2C, we see ourselves as a mass market application. 
um, and simply because um, we've had Stephen Finnick use us on 2GB to ask a series of questions about the most wanted feature in an iPhone 6, and in less than 10 seconds he had hundreds of people answering a polling question and was able to change the direction of his live interview uh, as a consequence of having the additional insight as to what the audience was thinking as he was asking the questions. So this proved very useful uh, as an adjunct to media, uh, as well as um, sitting alongside a lot of other uh, models where people share ideas and need insight, whether they be in real time or otherwise. So we are actually dealing with the, a combination um, of these big trends which are coming together. So decisions that have to be more data-driven with more insight, the ability to be able to access this intelligence from the cloud on any mobile device, because Eatings is not an app that you have to download. It's all browser-based. And nothing gets stored in the actual device itself, which means devices with relatively thin amounts of memory actually are highly usable points of, uh, uh, of interaction and interfaces into uh, all of this material that's kept in the cloud. So we think that the value proposition for users is quite uh, profound and that people will find their own way, uh, as we have, um, in experimentation and in testing about their, the way that they most want to share their ideas within the people that they're in contact with. Yeah. So we do think, ultimately, the value proposition proves out and as, as people's uh, sophistication, as the market's sophistication about what they want to know, when they want to know it, and in how much detail, um, a, uh, a premium model will emerge that we think will ha represent really good value. So, so and can you give us an indication of time scale? Like, when do you expect to send your first invoice? I don't know when we're sending our first invoice at the moment. We don't have any date for that yet. And right. our principal objective is to make sure that uh, every early-stage business in Australia uses Eatings. It's available for free, and the version that we have out there, we intend to keep free permanently. Yeah. Um, so once we've actually got real clarity on what the uh, premium version ought to look like, then uh, we'll build that, and then we'll line up to see at which point we think um, it's appropriate to start uh, providing this as uh, yeah. an upgrade choice. But so in order to survive and thrive, hopefully, well, actually, it should probably be the other way around, thrive and survive, uh, to get to the point of sending your first revenue, you're going to need some, some funding. So talk us about how you're, how you, how you're viewing the uh, funding side of seatings. So what we've been doing so far is uh, running in a fairly stereotypical lean model and uh, we've been very careful in terms of where we've spent the money that we have, which we have largely invested in the technology, uh, as well as uh, building out functionality around uh, the most usable or most wanted tools. So our funding is going to very much uh, have to line up with the number of users that we uh, procure, because ultimately marketing and customer acquisition costs are the principal areas that you can't easily control and don't make sense in a lean model. So 
as we go on and as we actually build up the number of users who are using us, we'll have to be devoting much more in terms of customer support uh, as well as in um, additional customer acquisition costs. Mm -hmm. So we'll be looking at uh, doing some external capital raises, but we haven't done that yet. Right. And so where do you expect that to come from? Is this an Australian... You're an Australian company, so would you take an Australian VC or do you expect it to be an overseas one? Um, we don't have any uh, strong view at the moment as to where the future capital will come from. We do know that um, as our, our own small group of uh, shareholders, um, we've had the capacity very fortunately to be able to see through the development now. Uh, and uh, we're delighted to say that the product that we imagined now is in the hands of people like HP and EY and others um, who tell us the way it needs to be going forward. So under the circumstances, um, we believe that if the demand is there and the value is created, I don't think we'll have problems raising funds. Yeah. And then they may well come from the US or Asia. Right. But you don't have a... What's your preference? I mean, do you have a preference? No, I don't have any preference as to where the funding comes from. I have a very significant preference um, in and around who we have as partners and uh, because we've got a fairly big vision that we're looking to ch try and chase. Yeah. And I mean, naturally, it's an international market from day one. Yep. So if, uh, if Axel picks up the phone or Index or any of those big guys and said, Tony, love your proposition. We're going to give you, I don't know, pick a number, 20 million bucks, a 50 million valuation tomorrow. You're going to move to Silicon Valley. Would, would you do that? Uh, sure. Right. I mean, we are... I thought you liked it here. I, I love leave. it here. I also love it there. <laughs> I think... Um, you, I'm, you must know the inside of that plane pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I think as a team, we've, you know, well-traveled as a group. Right. Um, and uh, I think this... The, what you've seen in the development of a lot of uh, businesses is that Silicon Valley is essentially like one gigantic commercial switchboard. Yeah. Ideas and technologies can come from any country. We've seen that with Skype. We've seen that with uh, Spotify. We've seen that with countless numbers of organizations um, where the principal uh, convergence of money and talent and commercialization skills um, occurs where you have the ability to be able to access scale, and that typically means the U.S., but it doesn't only mean the U.S. And uh, if this is going to be a successful business, it has to be global because the demand is global. So we'd be very open to actually putting our sales and marketing support wherever we feel um, are the most... Uh, rapidly emerging sources of demand. Yeah. I mean, you could have asked the same question to the guys um, who started the uh, WhatsApp messaging platform. And their initial user base of the hundreds of millions of people who use them did not come from the US. So, you know, it's a big market. And uh, Yeah, I think a lot of the US investors were like, what's who? Exactly. And then you know, they actually look to the numbers, you're like, holy crap, this is gigantic. It's a big world, and 300 million, sorry, 300 million people, as big as they are in the US, is not the entire world. Yeah. So, uh, any advice or tips? I mean, I know you've been around StartMate and a lot of the other ones that are more of a probably US focus than, uh, than Asia focus, but 
I mean, I know you've had some exposure to Asia too. So just that dynamic between, you know, you're in Australia, you need to expand Asia versus the US. Um, I have a personal theory, which is something along the lines of, if you have a business where the business model itself is not revolutionary, um, and you could be regarded as a fast follower, then going to a place like Asia first actually makes a lot of sense because you've got massive markets um, that are rapidly becoming much more consumer-oriented and growing at an incredible speed. If, on the other hand, you're really breaking new ground in your commercial model and you're actually looking to try to drive um, a lot of early adopters in, in something which is actually quite revolutionary, then going to the U.S. still makes sense. So um, I think uh, the question as to which country I go to first, apart from Australia, has to reflect where you think the demand is. But I think um, if you look at where the venture capital industry is actually growing the fastest, you should possibly go to Israel (laughs) or China. So it really depends. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, you know, maybe... Getting down to the final question, I mean, observations like we've grown up in this uh, startup landscape in Australia for the last 10 years, so observations on how things are now versus how they were and how you expect them to be. I actually just wrote something about this um, in a post on LinkedIn. I think the Australian startup scene has never been busier than it is right now. I also think that there's an, a much Uh, greater appetite amongst larger organizations who are beginning to react to the idea that disruption isn't a fad uh, and it's not going away. So around about three or four weeks ago, uh, Catherine Livingston gave a speech to the Australian journalists uh, or the Australian Press Council or the the press club in Canberra around... um, why Australia is entering the age of disruption and what does that actually mean. And what she observed, which was very much a reflection of a a lot of findings that came out of a McKinsey report, is that the extent to which Australian industry has to restructure and Australian governments have to also um, react to changing circumstances... Um, is both a big challenge and also an enormous opportunity which uh, will touch every single organization in the country. So we have this startup um, community of innovators who have been used to developing um, breakthrough concepts but have needed access to big markets and financial capital to be able to scale their opportunities up. So you can think of them as a small flywheel off to the side with this massive wheel which represents traditional industry. By connecting those two, you actually make both more successful. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, is the emergence of the startup community as a flywheel to more traditional uh, economic development. Okay. I think we might call it a day there. That's been terrific, Tony. Thank you so much for... Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, no, pleasure. Good luck with uh, Zetings and everything else you're up to. Terrific. And go to Zetings.com and sign up. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. I did actually try the process and it was terrific. So, all right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.